Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So we're coming back to a comfortable sitting for you. Find uh, any place that you can feel at ease and tune into an object of concentration, whether it be the breath or the body sensation. We start. So when you tune into an object, tune into something that's easy and accessible and that you can feel it because the sensation helps you to remember. For example, if you tune into the breath, feel the in-breath. Where's the sensation of the in-breath? Whether it be the around the rim of the nostril, area above the upper lip, the chest or the belly, Because your mind can only do one thing at a, at a time. If you focus on the breath and the sensation, thoughts don't over, don't take you here and there. Make your breath and the sensation of the breath as the foreground and whatever noise, thoughts arising as the background. So you focus your main attention to the foreground, the breath and sensation, and your sub-attention to the thoughts and noises in the background. Energy flows to the main attention, flow into the main attention.
If you can feel the sensation, the body remembers. It's just muscle memory. In the midst of your daily life, you can always tune in to the breath, sensation of the breath. If you can do it here, you can do it in a difficult situation out in daily life. For example, if fears arise in daily life, which is, you can feel as a tightness in the chest, make that your sub-attention. And the main attention is your breath and sensation. So the foreground will be your breath and sensation around the rim of the nostril. The background will be the tightness of the chest, which is fear. If you can remember the breath and the sensation around the nostril, then fear is just only your self-attention. It no longer overpower you. But first, we do it here first. We do it easy in a controlled environment.
beside the breath and sensation of the breath, you can find any other sensation that you feel most comfortable as your refuge, which is the sensation of the palms of your hands, your knees, your shoulders, your cheeks, etc. Anything that you find most comfortable and easy to get access to in daily life. And rest in that, make that your main figure, your main attention. Everything else is just the background, the sub-attention. So our first step in meditation is concentration to find a refuge in the breath, in the body sensation. And from the vantage point of this refuge, everything else arises, the breath, I mean the thoughts, emotion, feeling, don't hijack you, don't take you here and there. You can either stay in the concentration, the first step, or we can move on to the second step in meditation, is to go into awareness of objects. Now we take refuge in the wholeness, and whatever object arises is just a part. We embrace whatever arises, the part, in order to realize the whole, the one who embraced. So can you embrace whatever's arising, the breath, sensation, To make it easier to differentiate between the part versus the whole, 
to differentiate between the object of awareness versus the awareness itself. I'm going to use the sound meditation. Continue to sit, close eyes and listen to the sound. Everything that arises, your thoughts, emotion, feeling, sensation, is only a part. Just like the, the sound of the bell. The part has a beginning and ending. Now it's the end. Now it has a beginning. Now it's end. And there's a gap between each sound. It's like there's a gap between each sensation, thoughts, and feeling. Before another thoughts come, before another sensation come, there's a gap. Notice that gap and rest, shift your Rest in place from the form, the sound, to the gap between the sounds. The one who hears exists in that gap and in the sound. Awareness is that is that one who hears. Rest in that awareness. Whatever arises in our consciousness, its nature is the part which has non-existence. Right now, there's no sound. Existence, there's sound. And non-existence, no sound. That's the nature of outer parts. 
with the nature of the whole, the awareness itself. Its existence right now is aware of my, of me talking. Existence again, it awares of the sound. And even though the sound has gone now, it's still aware of the birds singing, chirping in the background, in the outside. So can you differentiate between the parts, the object of awareness versus the whole, the awareness itself, the one who knows? The part has a beginning and ending. The whole is the one that before the beginning, during and after the end. The whole includes the part, yet more than the part. So we embrace whatever thoughts, sensation, feeling to recognize this wholeness, the one who knows.
to when we pay attention to the parts, for example, the breath, we notice it change in breath, gap, out breath, gap, and then in breath. Notice it's changing, keep changing from in to gap to out. But behind the breath, where the gaps merge together into this infinite open space, that watch, that keep watching the breath, is the unchanging awareness. You're still the same, even though the breath keeps changing from in to out. Can you recognize this sameness in the midst of unsame, in the midst of changing? Object. Same with the sensation. Sensation can change. When you first start sitting, you don't feel pain in your knee, tightness in the buttocks area, or numbness in the legs of the shoulders. But now you may feel it, the sensation changes. But the awareness, the one who know, who knows, is the same. You still the same awareness before you are sitting at ten o'clock today and now. So can you embrace the changing sensation to notice the unchanging one who embraced?
if you can find, can recognize the changing that's holding everything in the midst of the, I'm sorry, rest in the holding capacity, the unchanging holding capacity in the midst of the changing content. In, in daily life, sometimes mood change from joy to sadness. Um, happiness to depression. From at ease to fearful. Anything that changed in you, if you can find the unchanging wholeness, then everything is workable. So other moods, feelings, and sensations are just like the furniture in your room right now. But the unchanging wholeness, your awareness is like the space of the room. The space is not affected by the furniture. Whether you take out the furniture or put them in, you just cover the space, but the space is not affected. Continue to rest in this wholeness, the unchanging space-like formless, formless space that is luminous, that can see all the furniture, yet more than the furniture that it is, that it is holding.
So we embrace whatever is arising, whatever furniture arising, to realize the one who embrace as the space of the whole room, which holds everything, yet more than everything. From the vantage point of this, this open space, of this holding capacity, now we can guide the furniture, we can guide our fear. And from this vantage point of the holding space, now the fear just become a feedback mechanism. Instead of when we forget the space, now we inside the furniture, we inside the fear, now it controls us. So the practice is to embrace whatever arising, whatever furniture arising, to realize our true self as that holding space. And from the vantage point of holding space, we can guide everything. Yes, in the same way as the mother guiding the child who's confused. And from this guidance, the child understands and learns. And our practice is to find this mother nature, the womb of existence, and come back to this womb, the source, and rest in this womb. And the way to come back to this womb is to rest, is to embrace whatever parts arise. In about two minutes, we're going to shift from our sitting period to our discussion and sharing period. Even within our discussion, this wholeness, the holding capacity is still here. The total is still here. Only the parts change. Right now, the parts, the object of awareness is your breath, thought, sensation, When we shift to this discussion, the parts change, your thoughts may change, 
sensation may change. But the one who's watching your thoughts remain the same. Can you rest in this sameness in the midst of the unseen, in the midst of the changing thoughts, sensation, and feeling? The furniture may change, but the space, the formless space holding the furniture remain the same. The object of awareness will change, but the awareness itself is unchanging. And that's your ultimate refuge. Thank you for allowing me to share the sitting practice with you. Can you all hear me okay? Okay, yes, thank you. Uh, um, we all learn from each other. So no matter how, what you share, we all share in that commonality. For example, if you're depressed, the outer form may be different. One person may be depressed from a broken relationship, one from the health issue, one from the job issue, one from financial issue. So the outer forms are different. But when we shift to the inner form, the depression you feel in the throbbing in the belly, the tightness in the chest, they are the same. The way to deal with depression as, uh, as it manifests in our body is the same because the reaction to the depression occur in the body. So the outer form create, uh, uh, create a, a sensation in the body, a tightness in the chest. And we react to that tightness in the chest with con contraction and running away. And we add on to that contraction. So, if you only focus on the outer form, focus on the other person, the circumstance, then you are, you are continue to feed energy into the reactivity, which, which is uh, reacting to the tightness of the chest. So our practice is from the outer form, we need to shift inward to the inner form and feel, and feel where the reactive occur and uh, and from that understanding now we can allow we can allow the form the to come and go and not feed energy into it so I would like to share that's the topic for today is uh, you can't fight against the wave but you can learn how to surf and that's one of the wisdom 
from the yoga tradition uh, uh, in the Upanishad uh, learning, which has a lot of similar similarity with Vipassana. Um, <clears throat> and then afterward, I would love to hear you sharing everything. And we learn from that, from each other. So our ultimate goal is to find happiness in life. We are, no matter what country, what culture, everything you're coming from, that's the common goal of humanity is to find happiness. But happiness is already here. Peace is already here. So our practice is to find what's blocking our happiness. What's, what are the suffering that's blocking our happiness? So our practice, in a way, is to learn the nature of suffering. And from this understanding, now we can find happiness. So we, we want to find what's blocking the happiness in order to come back to that innate happiness that's already within us. So the practice is to learn where does the suffering occur and how do we contribute to our suffering? How do we make the blockage becoming bigger and bigger blockage to reach our innate happiness in, in life? And I think I, have, I can. <clears throat> so this is just a basic formula of suffering. <laughs> Suffering is equal to pain, proportional, not equal, proportional to pain divided by consciousness. So the fraction is equal to numerator divided by denominator. So the way to it, our practice is to decrease suffering. And by decreasing the suffering, we realize our innate nature. So there are two ways to decrease the fraction. You can either decrease the numerator or you can increase the denominator. So two ways. So for example, if I have chronic pains in my shoulders, there are two ways for me to deal with the chronic pains in my shoulder. One is to decrease the numerator by going to the doctor, going to the chiropractor, chiropractor treat the pains. Or I can reinter re reinterpret the pain and say that's not bad. I can uh, change my way of thinking towards the pain. And that's to reduce the numerator, reduce the pain. So if I reduce the pain, I reduce the suffering. Or the second way is I increase the denominator, I increase the consciousness. So the first way is still my pain. The second way is I increase the consciousness. So it's still the same pain. I'm not trying to reduce the pain, but in relation to consciousness, if I increase my consciousness bigger, then in relation to my pain, the pain is now a smaller part of me. For example, uh, in your room right now is uh, if you have a, a chair and that's the chronic pain. So the way to reduce suffering of the, the chair is to uh, make the chair smaller, make it less of, of a problem 
but it's still my chair. Or that's to reduce the numerator, or to, to increase the denominator is to increase the consciousness to recognize that I'm more than the chair of pain. I'm the space of the room. So now the pain of the chair is still the same, but before it was 100% of my consciousness. Now my consciousness is increased bigger. So now it's only 1% of my consciousness. So the chair is only 1% of the space of the room. And if I'm rest in the space of the room now, the chair is the same, the pain is the same, but now I, it's workable because it's only 1%. So both complement each other in terms of if you can reduce the numerator or you can increase the denominator. You can reduce the, the pain or you can increase the consciousness. It's like, you know, in the, if you're a carpenter, you need the plier, which is the numerator, reduce the pain, or you need a hammer, which is the denominator, which increases your consciousness. Sometimes you need both tools, so they complement each other. Sometimes you need a, a plier, sometimes you need a hammer, or sometimes you need both. So they are complement. They are not against each other. But we are very familiar with reducing the pain, reducing the numerator. But sometimes there are a limit to how you can reduce your chronic pain. There's a limit. So what we're going to share today in the Eastern meditation is to increase consciousness so that you can complement in case if you reach the limit of reducing the numerator, of reducing the pain. Um, so our practice is how to increase consciousness. But why do we need to increase consciousness? Because when the pain arises, if, you, if your consciousness is the same as the pain, if you become one with the chair of pain, then you say, it's my pain. And when it's my pain, you start adding on, I don't like the pain. I wish the pain goes away. I'm not at ease with the pain. I'm not whole with the pain. So we, we add on we add on the reactivities and that adding on, we feed energy into the pain. Whereas if we, so this is the pain. So this is my pain is here. My tightness of the chest, my, um, my uh, chronic pain of the shoulders is my pain. So it become a hundred percent and it's, I'm reacting to the pain. So the practice is how to embrace the pain to find out the one who embraces actually here because the pain has a beginning and ending, a boundary. But the one who embraces is already there before the pain, during the pain and after the pain. So you cannot recognize the one who embraces unless you embrace the pain first. When you embrace the pain, then you can recognize that which is more than the pain. And when you recognize that which is more than the pain, now the pain becomes 1% of your consciousness. And by resting in the one who embraced the 99%, you put the I, me, mine here. And if you put the I, me, mine here, 
Now energy flows towards the I me mind. So energy flow here instead of here. And if energy flows here, now you're not feeding energy into the pain. It's still the same pain, but it's just a pain. It's no longer a problem. Whereas if, if you forget to embrace the pain, now I am painful. Now it consumes you. Notice the difference between 100% pain, I am painful, versus 1% pain. Pain is arising in me, but I can deal with the pain because it's just a part of me. It's, I'm not confined within the boundary of this pain. So it's a, a confinement, but the confinement is in me instead of I'm in the confinement. So that's the difference. So we can open up our consciousness to include whatever confinement that's arising in our body and mind. And from the vantage point of this open space, now we can guide the confinement. And it's still a confinement, but now it becomes an instrument telling us what to do. And we have a choice. We can listen to it or not listen to it. And that's, and that's, we can now, and then, so in the midst of the confinement, we can rest in this wholeness. So when I forget about the wholeness, I put a condition on in life. I said, I'm only happy if and only if I change the, perf the imperfect part to the perfect. I'm happy if and only if there's no pain in my shoulder or the pain is decreased to an agreeable, a normal condition. I put a condition. And sometimes that things do not change according to my wants. So with the new practice is I'm always okay in the midst of the parts of my body, whether this part is painful or not, because I can rest in this wholeness no matter what. I'm still going to work on this to make it less painful. But I don't put my condition of happiness in making this perfect. I can rest in this wholeness in the midst of the imperfect part. Here, I'm always living in the future because to change from pain to no pain, to satisfy my happiness, I, it needs time to change from Imperfect to perfect. Here, I always live in the present moment because I don't put a condition on my uh, on my part on my on my body, whether it's it's imperfect right now, or whether it changed, or how long it needs to change from the perfect to in, from the imperfect to perfect is is doesn't matter. What matter is I'm always whole in the midst of the imperfect part. So that's our, that's our practice, is to come back, come back to this wholeness in, in no matter whatever is arising. And you have placed that in our practice today. When I, when I use the bell, 
you taste the bell, the sound of the bell as the part, it keeps changing from perfect to imperfect. And however it sounds, sometimes I make the sound too loud, it's imperfect. Sometimes I make it low, it's maybe sound better to your ear, it's perfect. But the one who hears is always the same. That sameness is always okay. So our practice is to find this wholeness in ourselves. That's always here. Because we have no control over the parts. As long as we rest in the parts, then we always go against the law of nature. The law of nature is impermanence and non-self. It always changes from perfect to imperfect and non-self meaning we have no control over it. We can't make it perfect all the time. But I'm, if I'm willing to rest in this wholeness, this wholeness is always has a um, has a permanency, and it has a it and it has a a self. Only the open space of the universe. Eventually, that's what the ultimate goal is to come back to the, the universe, universal wholeness, which has a permanency because the space is always the same, the formless space, and it has uh, is unchanging, and it has a self because no matter what you do with the space, it doesn't change, it doesn't uh, turn berserk. The part can turn berserk, but the space is always the same. It is always whole. So our ultimate goal is to find that space. But the way to find the space is you got to embrace the part, and where the boundary of the part is. You can feel the invisible space surrounding it. And so from the boundary of the visible, you can feel the invisible out here. And we rest in that invisible. Who's the one that embraces? The one that embraces the space of open space, the, the invisible, the formless, that embraces the, the form. And we rest in this form. We embrace the formless, the form, to rest in this formless and that formless, the total is always okay. And that's our ultimate refuge in, in our practice. The consciousness of becoming the whole universe is always okay. So we, our practice is to come back to that source. And from the source, we cut off the energy supply to whatever sensation, feeling, fear, desire, greed, depression. And when we cut them off, cut the energy off, the form still remain the same. But now it's becoming weaker. So it's it no longer telling us what to do. We as the whole can guide, can guide them, can guide those forms. Thank you for allowing me to share the practice with you. I, I would love to hear you will take on it or anything else in your life. Anything that helped you, that you can share, that can help the Sangha or any difficulty that you do, that we can all, because we share the same difficulty in ourselves. You can either unmute yourself and talk or raise your hand or anyone here in person. Yes, please. Hello. 
don't know if the people on Zoom can hear what I'm saying, so I'll project a little. You can, I can repeat, yes. Okay. Um, I find um, that when there's something, something happens, an event that causes a lot of emotions. Yes. That if I'm with my awareness, I can see several emotions arising in response to one thing. I might be, I use my kids as an example. Mm -hmm. My child breaks something. I am angry, but I also feel compassion because my children are very young and they mm -hmm. need to do it. I feel uh, nostalgia. Maybe the idol was important because it used to belong to someone else. Any one thing that happens usually brings a couple of different, mm -hmm. you know, emotions up at the same time. But if I identify, and usually if I identify this with strong negative emotions, I might only identify with the anger. And then that's the one that really takes me over. Um, and I now I'm identifying with the object and I'm not with the words. Um, and then I kind of miss the truth of the complexity of the other things that are arising, almost mm -hmm. like, you know, if we're in the room, I know, I only know that there's this one chair, mm -hmm. but the truth of my my experience is that there's a room full of furniture. Yes, But if yes. I the awareness, I see this chair, I also see the yes. chair of my compassion for my, my kid. I also see the, the sadness, missing the relative, who used to own that yes. object, whatever. And then I see the truth of many things going yes. on. This anxiety, fear, anger, those ones are the ones that seem to have the most pull, you know, that will make me ignore the other things. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing because that's happened to me and I think many, many <laughs> others too. What is your name? Kate. Kate. Uh, so Kate shares that uh, in daily life, she her habitual tendency, just like me, just like myself, is to focus on the negative parts, even though there are other positive parts out there. And that's our nature, is because we, through evolution, we only focus on the negativity. So if you go out to the wilderness, you focus only on the grass that's moving, not the grass that is still, because the one that's moving maybe there's a mountain lions they are waiting to jump on you and see you as a meal as for lunch so it's a way to protect ourselves uh, is to see only the negative parts because the positive parts is will not hurt you only the negative will hurt you but that habit even though it helps us to survive in life it become a blockage to our own happiness. So we need to know that we're more than that habit. So we can turn it on and turn it off. So the habit is not bad. Seeing the negative is not bad, but be allowing them to become your master is bad. So that habit is like a car, a car, an instrument in itself is not bad, but it can, if it's the one that control you, it takes you here and there without you being able to control. Now it's become bad. But if you can learn the control mechanism to feed in the fuel supply when you want to go to a store, cut off the fuel supply 
when you want to park in front of your house, now it becomes a beautiful instrument. So the way is not to get rid of the car, not to get rid of your negativity bias, but to know that you're more than that. And from the vantage that you're more than that, now you can feed energy into it when you need it. Now it becomes just a beautiful instrument. And, but you have to know that you're more than that instrument. So the, if, if it's hard for you to come back to this open space of awareness, first, just shift your focus from the negative to the positive. In the midst of the negative, focus on the positive so that they balance and balance themselves out. And then the second step is now who's the one that is aware of the negative and the positive and rest in that one. But that one is formless. If you're not familiar with the formless yet, to do a two-step process, like what Kate was saying. Just focus on the positive first. Shift your attention from the negative to the positive and rest in the positive. Step two is to shift from the object to the formless space, the holding our object, holding our negative and positive. And from that perspective, that vantage point, now you can guide them, whether it's negative or positive. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I'm smiling because I'm talking from my yeah. experience. <laughs> I got stuck too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, please, Bob. Just to add to that. Yes. Uh, something recently I heard about that, our, our negative bias. Yes. Was somebody I was listening to actually added the word natural negative bias yes. in front of that, uh -huh. which was very, uh, a lot more easy to take a and a lot more palatable. Yeah. Because uh, it's natural, right? And so I feel like for me, when I see that I'm trying to focus say, on something positive, Sometimes, I'm not, sometimes I see that my mind gets a little bit too caught up in what's positive or negative. Mm -hmm. And so I just rest in, in the simple fact that the effort to see the positive is a positive. So just those small little shifts of mind help me get there a little bit quicker. I'm just noticing these little subtleties that we can add mm -hmm. in practices like that that really have a huge advantage. Just adding that word natural, negative bias, made me feel so not. Uh, Instead of negative bias, it's just natural negative bias, which is just habitual tendency, which is natural. And so, and also Bob was mentioning, uh, instead of focus on how many times you fail, now focus on how many times you succeed. <laughs> because now you are, instead of focus on negative reinforcement, now we focus on positive reinforcement. And that's how we grow. So no matter how many times we fail, don't focus on a thousand times we fail. Focus on a hundred times we succeed. And then the way 
the more we focus, the more we feed energy into it. So 100 times become 200, become 300, 400. And the 1,000 times become 900, 800, become less and less. Because we feed energy in, in, into what we focus on. So don't focus on our failure. Focus on our success. Even though our failure is higher than our success because of our habitual tendency. But focus on our success. Because whatever we focus will increase. And whatever we don't focus will decrease. Thank you so much. Thank you again for your teaching. It was very clear. Um, you're not going to believe this, but uh, you asked me to share a poem today. And I, I selected a poem that is almost identical to what you're talking about today. So <laughs> I, I think you're reading my mind, or I'm reading your mind. <laughs> but uh, is it okay if I read it? Please, please do. Thank okay. you so much. Yes, thank you. I wrote this one, I, I called it, The World's a Stage. Life's drama feels like an emotional roller coaster or a play where we're at the mercy of a script we didn't write. When meditating, we focus on thoughts, emotions, sounds, and sensations. We notice and let go of whatever arises. We let go of thoughts and labels and watch with bare attention. Now it seems awareness is no longer centered inside our character. We watch everything from a distance, like we're sitting in the audience watching a play. Before our attention was focused on our thoughts and personal drama, like our eyes were rolled back in our heads watching our thoughts. Now we're aware of whatever arises. We can now actually see with our eyes and hear with our ears. The word me and I are now strangely absent. Whenever an object, wherever an object comes from, it is viewed without the labels of inside or outside my mind or body. We are not aware of anything separate from us. We are one with everything. Mind is experienced as being spacious and accepting and any drama seems to occupy a small part of our total vision. There is no attachment or aversion to whatever comes or whatever goes. The action continues on stage, but the watcher does not suffer. Since our mind is bigger than the play's drama, we can, you, we can also perceive that it's a warm, breezy night and there's a beautiful full moon. Over time, we realize that throughout the day, we can watch the drama from the vantage point of our choosing. We can move on to the stage or far back into the audience as an observer. This experience of fluidity broadens our perspective. Sometimes the roller coaster takes you up, sometimes down, but there's more acceptance of the present moment. With a small smile, our emotions more centered, we enjoy the ride, the warm night, and the beautiful full moon. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Can you all hear uh, Anthony sharing? Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful sharing. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Beautiful. <laughs> no, that's the beauty of the poem. It say everything to words, to logic, yet it's more than logic, more than words. It say the unspoken. Um, and you beautifully put it. So can you, what uh, Anthony poem is, can you visualize our life is like a, 
uh, it's like a theater. It has a drama on stage, and the one who's watching is the audience. So the object of awareness are like drama on stage, and the awareness itself is the audience. And by embracing the drama, we realize the one who embraces the audience. And once you're the audience, now you can step onto stage and play the drama, just like Kate was sharing earlier. And um, but the difference in the even with the negativity bias that Kate was mentioning, for example, anger. If we're the audience and we step in and play the role of the person who's angry. So let's say I'm stepping in. So I try to make myself angry. I put onion on my nose, my uh, eyes, so I, my eyes are watery and I yell real loud. And, and then I play the role of the person who's angry versus when I forget the audience. And now this is a family situation. I'm angry uh, at another person a co-worker or another person. Can you see the differences between the two anger? If I'm acting anger, I can yell, even if I try to yell louder and I have a lot of worry eyes from the onion, uh, but it's not the same as real anger because it's only acting. So our practice is, is to realize the audience in the midst of daily life situation. And that uh, is the awareness. Awareness is to know that in the midst of the drama, so the drama, whatever has a beginning and ending is a drama. That's the stages. But the one who hears that exists before the beginning, during and after the ending is the audience. So the audience exists before the drama, before you open the curtain and after you close the curtain. Whereas the drama is in between the opening of the curtain and the closing of the curtain. Can you differentiate between the two? So when that's the practice is we open our consciousness bigger than the drama on stage before the curtain and after the, before the curtain opening and after the curtains ending open our consciousness. And from the vantage point of that bigger consciousness, now we can guide the drama. We can guide our anger. We can guide our fear, our depression, our whatever difficult emotion is. And that is, and the way to it is embrace them to come back to the source, which is the audience. And everything is workable from the source, from the wholeness. And then even if the part, the drama, you die in the drama, you depressed in the drama, drama, it's okay. The audience is okay with that. This is, this is a drama. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Feel free to unmute and Jane, yes, please. Did you, did you unmute yourself? Oh, yeah. No, I did. Rick had his hand up too. Yeah. I was thinking about the audience and that um, when you were talking, you know, the separation between consciousness and object was where the practice really lives, it seems, and, and what you're saying. Being able to recognize that they're both there. Um, 
and to stay in awareness. And that when the play's going on, even if you have awareness before the curtain and after the curtain, hanging in there and with awareness when the play's going on is the most um, vulnerable part of the whole process, it seems to me. Um, <laughs> there's a, I mean, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road in a way, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> because it gets pretty tricky and uh, a little gnarly sometimes in between those two. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I just want to break that up because it's so difficult sometimes to stay, to know that that's not the whole picture, you know? And yet that's where agents in life, that's where, I mean, the nasty word control lies, doesn't it? Because unless I, I don't have any agency or any control if I've lost it and now I, I've forgotten. Have you ever been in a movie and you really forgot you were in the audience? <laughs> yes. yes. Uh -huh. um, you know, because sometimes that does happen too. And, and that just realizing that the realization that they're separate is a whole, I mean, I'm saying this, obviously that's true, but how to hang in there with the, uh, keeping keeping awareness in mind. And sometimes I wish I didn't have to pay so much attention to objects because they're very seductive aren't they? That's the story of my life. Uh, you know, so how to hang in there and how to live in there without, uh, well, I guess that's what life is about, the vulnerability and the seduction of objects and how we navigate that entire thing. Anyway, it's pretty tricky. I didn't mean to have any answer or throw any water on it. <laughs> my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jane. You invited, uh, you just raised something that is uh, that I have many many times got stuck trying to figure it out and the reason why I get stuck is because I'm trying to use my logic my uh, my uh, uh, and my senses to my six senses to understand what awareness is uh, and that's our human nature because the parts can't understand the whole. So I have a picture of two circles, the small circle and the big circle. The small circle is the part, the big circle is the whole. So this is my, the small circle is my logic, my senses, my six senses, my thoughts, feeling, emotion. The awareness is the whole, uh, is the total. The part cannot understand the whole, but the whole can understand the part or let me use a metaphor, the drop of water, this is the part is a drop of water, cannot understand the ocean, but the ocean can understand the drop of water. So in our practice, we, it's how common a habit that we're trying to use our thoughts, which is the drop of water to understand awareness, the universe, which is the whole, but we can't do that. That's we're trying to do the impossible because the drop is finite. The ocean is infinite. How can the finite understand the infinite? So then we only get, uh, so even if we're trying to think about awareness, just, just a, a thought of awareness, but not awareness itself because our senses can only see 
our senses are form and the form can only see another form. The form cannot see the formless. So instead of trying to use our senses, the part to see the whole, to understand the whole, we just embrace the parts. And we, when we embrace the part, we realize its boundary. And then we said, wait a minute, the one who embraced exists before the boundary, during the boundary and after the boundary. Now we realize the whole, but we'll only realize the whole by watching the drop. Instead of using the drop to, to find the ocean, now we see the finite, the limitation of the drop of water. And then we realize I'm more than just drop of water because the one who watched the drop of water exists before, during, and after the drop. Even though I can't realize the whole thing, but I know that I'm more than the drop of water. So it's a shift. Instead of using the drop to understand the ocean, now just embrace the drop and find out the one who embraced that has always been there before, during, and after. So by embracing the drop of water, I find the finiteness, the boundary of the drop. And then I realize I'm more than the boundary. And that more than the boundary is the whole, is the ocean. So you it don't become the drop of water searching for the ocean. Rather, embrace the drop of water. And the one who embraces can realize, can realize the ocean. The one who embraces is the ocean. So it's a shift. Normally, we use the drop of water to understand things. We make the we make me, I, David, as a universe, trying to understand everything. So it's shift. Now make the universe the center. Normally, David is the center. And everything else, I trying to make it fit with David. Now use the universe as center and changing David to make it fit with the universe. So start out, don't trying to use David, the drop of water to understand the ocean, rather embrace David to re realize that the ocean has always been here. So I'm not trying to strengthen David to make something bigger, rather I drop David and make it merge with the ocean. And the way I drop David is, to find out the finiteness of David. David has a beginning and ending. That which hold David is the universe. Uh, Anthony, I think you raised your hand. Yeah, I, I love what uh, what Jane said because um, that we all get stuck in the in the moment. Uh, you know, we're sitting on the cushion and everything's cool, and then you know, uh, drama breaks out, and then how do you maintain? uh the ability to uh kind of come and go in the midst of the play but i i like what the buddha said uh just another way of saying what you said uh, you know the buddha said uh, develop a mind which rests on nothing so all of these thoughts feelings and perceptions arise and pass away everything's impermanent um but as soon as attachment or aversion uh shows its ugly head we 
you know, latch on and we hold on to those thoughts and we hold on to the, the fight and it turns into a train of thought, it turns into a mood, it turns into a, you know, it, it, it leads to suffering. Um, but one thing that I really enjoy is using a mantra because you can't hold on for very long. Uh, when I inhale, I say to myself, let, and when I exhale, go. And if, if I'm doing that during the day, I'm being. When I need to use my mind as a tool, I use my mind as a tool, but I don't let my mind use me. Um, and now I'm able to cut off thoughts and cut off suffering. And I can be in those moments without, without uh, the natural attachment that occurs uh, in those situations. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. So uh, Anthony was saying, so in breath, we rest in the formless space, let and out breath, we let whatever's arising go. In breath, let, out breath, go. Or we can just see whatever coming up, let's say fear, find a boundary and hope and shift in that formless space that's before the before the fear arises. Because our senses cannot can only see a form. Our senses cannot see the formless. So we use the form, the boundary of the form at the beginning, the, uh, the starting line and find out the formless, that which is already there before the starting line. That which is, all, I already exist before my fear arises. So I embrace the fear and find out who am I before the fear arises. And in fact, that's one of the Zen koan. Who am I before the fear arises? Who am I before the depression arises? Who am I? Because my senses can't go straight to the formless. It used the boundary of the form to recognize the formless. Yeah, I appreciated the um, content of you know everybody who's shared so far. Um, what occurred to me most recently is that the greatest cause of suffering in my life is probably about feeling having not having enough time i mean to get things done you know whatever i want to accomplish i just feel like i'm constantly under time pressure and um, try to figure out how to remember to just enjoy the moments and not feel as pressed you know overall over the things that you know that are not getting done um, because you know i'm just trying to do to be with the moment um so that was kind of you know reinforced by a lot of things that you said today and appreciate that and um you had wanted me to share something i don't know if you're ready for that but, um, I'm ready to share. yes please please share and also type in your uh on the uh sharing you type in your email in case if people want to contact you afterward yes and I can read it. I can explain it to the in-person here, since we don't have an hour. Okay, so I just put my um, email in. Oh, yeah, on the chat box. And I think I need to make you a co-host, right? Uh, I, to... think I think it's on set me up to share with. Yeah, I'll make you a co-host. Okay. Can, can you see the, um, it looks like it should be sharing the, Okay. Yes. So, what uh, I'm I'm sharing with the uh, in-person audience. Yeah. Okay. 
go ahead. So what I'm, what I'm, I mean, this is something that um, David helped me develop, um, and uh, I just basically the things that he's talked about today and that people have talked about today. Um, and what you have is a um, just all, with practice moving from observing the object to observing awareness of the object to observing awareness of awareness. Um, so we're starting off with the object on the stage and the observation um, in the, the, the observe the you know um, observer initially in the using the, the theater image uh, in in the seat and then um, then in, out, outside of the theater is the awareness of awareness so it's going to know that those things are going on but um, just being aware uh, shifting away from the object overall awareness awareness so i created a series of different images to help explain these things to kids and this is one that um, is most rel relevant to what people have been talking about today but i also have um, different um, ones for the breath and um, breath awareness body awareness Sensors, loving kindness, love, loving kindness, mindfulness, yeah. Um, and the idea with these graphics is to create visual representations of the, um, you know, sort of abstract ideas, create more concrete images to help people connect with you know what especially younger people connect with the ideas on their level so a few others have done some on up in the knees and different ways of looking at it one of them is more a quote from bill Fransdahl and um, just representations of how change happens up in the knees a rose you know, first bud and then opening up and then blooming and starting to wilt. Too bad you can't have scratch and sniff on this one. <laughs> <laughs> rose really starts to smell the best when it's starting to really look the worst. I mean, it's interesting. Um, and then um, one on concentration and different ideas. Anyway, um, David asked me to share these and I wanted to um, help out where I could. And uh, if anybody has any questions about those, I mean, they're intended for social and emotional learning curriculum and also um, given some singing and so on. You know, I mean, they're for the purpose of genre. I mean, on a kid's level, I you know gave uh, copies to uh, David as well to share pictures of it. Anyway, any questions or Thank you so much, Rick. Really appreciate it. And because Rick understands that some people can understand things through language easier, or some people can understand through image, which is easier. Like for me, I gravitate towards image. So it's, uh, uh, and if you can make into an image the choice or the metaphor, then it's much easier to understand. So Rick has beautifully put it together in many different images in the, uh, uh, 
conceptual image which make it easier into different way of metaphor uh, how um, flow something similar to a flow chart <laughs> which is easier just like like for me i uh, in, in fact this is one of richard's uh, image that i uh, used too uh, the picture of cloud and sky whatever you embrace is the cloud and then you can't see the sky because it's formless so the way you you recognize the existence of the sky is before the cloud arrives who are you which is the sky so you use the form the boundary the, of the form, the finiteness of the form to recognize the infinite formless space. You can understand the formless space. You can use the cloud of your thought to understand the formless space. But the way you understand it is to embrace the thought and to find out the one who embraces is more than the finiteness, the limitation of the thought. Because thought has a beginning and end. The one who can see the thought is more than the thought. But you can use the thought to find out the one who sees the thought. <laughs> you can use a drop of water to understand the ocean. So you got to embrace the drop of water and understand the finiteness, finiteness of the drop of water. And that's the way to recognize the ocean. Yeah. So I think, you know, the way that you're teaching and, and a lot of people teach, and it, it activates people's natural tendency to relate to stories um, and um, what's going on. I mean, in the images, there are different things that kind of generate the imagination and start creating stories and um, that are relatable to people's experiences. It's just, you know, it's a very important uh, teaching tool. I mean, because otherwise these concepts can sound great, but it's like, how do you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, relatable? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the audience and speak from that perspective. So that, so when you raise your hand, you speak from that, then I know, oh, what perspective are you coming from? And then I tailor towards that perspective. So I can only, and that's the way to communicate is not to speak from my perspective, but rather shift myself, put myself in the shoes of that person and speak from that perspective. But so you're raising the hand, it helped me to know where you are. <laughs> I think Anthony, raise your hand. You got a big mouth, but you, you always, I, I love your, your talks and uh, Rick, thank you. Um, that picture of, of the cloud in the sky, I always think of the clouds as being like the thoughts, feelings, and perceptions that arise and pass away. And then there's a watcher, and that's like a wispy cloud, it, because that also is something that is another thought. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. more subtle. And then yeah. there's the emptiness of where everything is coming into empty mind, empty, empty sky. Um, so... I appreciate that. that <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Anthony. Yes, if we can talk about the sky, the watcher is still a part. So the uh, own, the absolute sky is something we can't talk about. <laughs> but for communication purposes, 
it's okay to use it because that's why how we communicate uh, languages in dual so sometimes we have to use dual to understand it yeah thank you thank you for bringing it up anybody else maybe a minute two minutes yes please your name Megan. Hello. Uh, i was just thinking you know i've lately been struggling with getting attached whether to an outcome or that black or thinking and the thing that's kind of helped me is um noticing the impermanence of everything i'm like okay one day i'm in this state the next day i'm not and just noticing the differences between that is kind of brings me back to this calm that won't last forever. So that, and then I've just been, even if I can't fully say certain loving kind phrases, like uh, I'll, the two that I go to is maybe kind to myself, maybe free of all suffering. And I'll just kind of stick with those and uh, get this place of just, in a calm or warm. Mm -hmm. And then it comes right back. <laughs> but I've noticed like just this two shall pass makes with some and it was making me think of when you said there's the negative, right? That we're focusing on. Yes. Shift to the positive. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So Megan, uh share that we shift from the thoughts negative thoughts to positive thoughts and this is more than just positive thoughts but rather the law of nature the law of nature is everything is impermanence and non-self suffering and we cling to that is suffering so the three aspects of uh nature impermanence non-self and suffering so every phenomena arising see shift from negative thought to positive and shown the um law of nature because whatever arise follow that phase impermanence and non-self impermanence mean it has a beginning and ending non-self mean we can't control it we can't make it happen it happened on its own and we can't make it stay it goes it stay on its own so um and to use also loving kindness to embrace it because loving kindness help ourselves to increase our consciousness the object of love is the small buddha and loving kindness become the big Buddha, become the mom, who's more than the uh, confusion of the child. The, and from this more than, now the mom can guide the child. And that's, that's the practice of loving kindness. To awake whatever you're willing to love, your fear is the small child, Buddha. If you embrace the fear with love and kindness, then you discover your true self as the big Buddha, the mom. And from the vantage point of the mom, Megan can guide the child of here. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe we can sit for one minute. Is that okay? Before we end the session?
as we are ending our session, we appreciate what we learn from others who have gone before us, leaving the wisdom for us so that we can share it with others as well. We learn from others and we can share it with others. And we want to dedicate this, the benefit of this practice to the benefits of our being. Thank you for allowing me to share with you and to be here with you. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you at another time. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.